You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. CRM has been proven to limit sales reps' responsiveness, persistency, and cadence. It's a design flaw, and it's losing you deals. That is why today's sales leaders use sales engagement platforms like VanillaSoft. Check it out. Go to VanillaSoft.com and start your free trial. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am joined on the line today by Mr. Michael Tuso with Chili Piper. How are you doing today, Mike? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. And I'm excited to dig in with you, man. I mean, I've been a big follower of what you've been working on, and I like your approach to sales development and your philosophy. So I'm excited to introduce you to our guests and uh, have them learn a bit more about you as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great catching up with you. Awesome. So Mike, I'm going to throw this out of nowhere, but if people <laughs> don't know you, how did you get into sales and sales development and up over at uh, Chili Piper? Yeah. So actually, I studied political science in college. And when I got out of college, actually, like one of my first jobs is running a statewide political campaign back home. And I was actually raising more money on the phones than the actual politician. And so I, I realized I was like, whoa, like, I, I really like this like fundraising gig. And a friend recommended I, I do tech sales. At the same time, I had this really strong interest in travel. And so I actually ended up taking a get gig that was a work abroad sales role where I got to travel South America. So I did that for about a year and a half, came back, worked for a large corporation and was one of their top account executives, moved into management, but really kind of like missed the startup feel of like working abroad. So then I basically worked in startups since. So went over to a smaller startup, then moved over to Snack Nation, where I took the sales team from roughly nine to 23. In my first month working there, we increased the revenue by 50% and then sustained that over time. While I was at Snack Nation, I bought Chili Piper and now I'm building out the sales team here. Nice. Okay. So you bring you bring kind of a different approach and philosophy to sales development than a lot of the kind of more cookie cutter, you know, dogmatic approaches that are out there. And one thing we were talking about a little bit was your approach to recruiting. I mean, I know that sales development is always a tough one when it comes to recruiting and finding top talent. And it seems like it's almost like a revolving door. So how do you think about like building your team and as you're building the team over at Chili Piper from a recruiting perspective? Yeah, that's a really great question. For most of the sales leaders I talk to, I, I do tend to have a little bit of a, a different perspective, which is provided for really interesting conversation, especially with learning how other companies do things. Here at Chili Piper, we try to take really the guesswork out of the experience. You know, behavioral interviewing styles have dominated HR in the past 20 years. I think it, behavioral interviewing is really great, but I think it also needs a little bit of an update. And what I, how I call our interview process is more of an empirical interview process. Like when you go to the doctor and he's trying to figure out if, you know, why you're sick, like he doesn't, he doesn't guess, he runs tests on you. 
And so kind of similar in that vein, like we do things that are analogous to what they would do actually in an SDR role. So one thing I might do is a role play followed by coaching, followed by another role play is one of my favorite interviewing strategies. And the reasoning for that is because it's really easy for people to be able to spit out the things that you want to hear, particularly when it comes to sales. Like most people have the knowledge on like what it takes to sell. But then when it comes to translating that knowledge into the actual skill set, there's a gap. And sometimes like top performers are unconsciously competent. There's like a whole consciousness model about, you know, coaches are the ones that are consciously competent and, you know, your Michael Jordans of the world are unconsciously competent. And so sometimes they might not be able to explain why they're really good, but they nevertheless have that skill set. And so we try to like test that a little bit through the interviewing process and take some of that guesswork out of it. And so while we do still have behavioral questions and things like that as well, we also do some other things, you know, to help take take that guesswork out of the process. Got it. Okay. And so for people that are not super familiar with the terminology, when you say behavioral interviewing or the usual way that people do it from the behavioral side, what does that mean? So a lot of times with behavioral interviewing, you'll hear questions like, can you tell me about a time when or how did you react in this situation? And the whole goal of behavioral interviewing is to see like how people respond in different situations, which is really good and a step in the right direction. But I'd rather much just like put them in that situation, like in the moment. And for me, it's been wonderful, particularly because my team works remotely and I'm used to having a team that's like close to me and I can, you know, coach and train them in a little bit of a different way. But you do have to have a little bit of a different approach. And while the things that I teach are pretty much the same, how I go about it is a little bit different working remotely. And it starts it starts with absolutely bringing on people who have that really strong base skill set and then going from there and building upon it. And I found by through this hiring process, we've attracted people who are autonomous thinkers. And so then they don't mind working remotely and are able to hold themselves accountable. And not only that, I can train them to like, like if it's an SDR, for example, I can actually train them much faster to be an account executive. So it's been, it's been really interesting learning process. I didn't know anything about this before I started working remotely like myself, but I've learned a ton and it's really helped me grow as a leader, but also attract top, top talent. Got it. Okay. So for people that are out there that are trying to, you know, maybe bring some of this into their own routine. So you're actually giving them, giving them the scenarios that they would be in while they're in the job and seeing how they perform and then giving them some coaching and then seeing if they use that coaching, you know, those tips in doing it the second time for you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So sometimes I'll put them in a scenario where I have them pitch our product, so Chili Piper, um, but they put, and I'll play a role of like a VP of marketing or sales at their current company. Or sometimes I'll, I'll have them do their current pitch. I've done both in the past. I don't have a strong preference to each. A lot of times I'm looking for them learning about me instead of just like going straight for the pitch. So that's probably huge. I I don't know a sales leader out there that isn't looking for something along those lines. And I think like the biggest error that I see people make is they go straight for the pitch without learning anything about me. And you hear a lot of people talking about that right now, but it's still the number one thing that I see 
candidates getting wrong in, in the interview process as far as like when it comes to that portion of the call is just like going straight for the pitch without like really trying to learn about the buyer like at all. And so then, yeah, in that scenario, I might give them a little bit of coaching and it's usually just one thing I'll have them focus on. Like, hey, ask me more questions about my process and then I have them redo it and then I see how in-depth they take my feedback. And then I weigh the two things together, like how they did in the first, their raw sales talent, and then also that against their coachability. And I use that to come up with, now a lot of people have uh, created scorecards which I used to use, but I, I changed my scorecard instead of being like a grading system, like in school where it's like, Oh, you get like an A, B, C or D. We do it more like all or nothing. So it's like they, they possess the skill. They don't possess the skill at all, or they possess it and they need a little bit of work. So it's, it's like they either have it or they don't type of mentality that we have here. And it's really been able to, to help us think about hiring in a really innovative way. I like that. It reminds me of something I heard somebody say, if it isn't a, a hell yeah, then it's a no. You know? <laughs> it's exactly. Like, these are the people that you have to spend like 40, 50, 60 hours a week with. And if they're not just hell yeah at the beginning, then come on. And it also makes me think like, you know, you must be under a lot of pressure to build the team and to actually get the the butts in the seats for lack of a better term, you know, because you need to get productive as quickly as possible. And so how do you balance like having this very stringent process of bringing people on the team, but then filling up the seats as quickly as possible? That's a phenomenal question. One that I get pretty heavily, especially like for venture backed companies where you have the pressure from the board. One is like have an open dialogue with your CEO and your CEO should have that same open dialogue with your VC firm so that you come to that understanding. And if the manager or like head of whatever department has that relationship with the CEO and then the CEO in turn has that relationship with the board, these things become much more understandable. It's when expectations aren't met, but they were delivered and no one like try to challenge it at all or, or kind of explain the philosophy. That's when people get into trouble. Or like if you know you're going to miss a, a hiring number, like get ahead of that. And so I don't really have like a hiring number per se. I, I do have a target that I, I hit, but we don't treat it like a really firm quota or anything like that because we want the emphasis to be on the top performer. And the thinking behind that is because like we always hear like, you know, the top 20% always bring in like 80% of the revenue, which is by and large true. So we'd rather just like bring in those type of people, even if it takes a little bit longer of time, then hire a bunch of people and then put them on performance plans and this whole like messy process that I've seen tons of companies and top, even companies I've been a part of do. So it becomes a much more sustainable way to think about hiring. And I also get feedback to the candidates on what they can improve, improve upon. So it's like, hey, we don't, we don't really tell candidates, no, we, we tell them not right now. And here's what you can do to improve. Come back to me later. And I'm, you know, we're happy to, to re-entertain this idea. But as far as like getting what you said, like quote, butts in seats, like I, I tell them like, hey, we don't do that. We have targets. But for me, it's much more worth getting that top performer who's like ready to go than getting someone of mediocre quality that is, you know, not quite ready in their career. And then it takes I never want to be like pushing people to do their job. And if you're finding that you're hiring people in, in that sort of way, you know, it might not be the right exact like hiring process. So that's kind of how I think about it in terms of, you know, balancing. The other thing I will say for 
quantity, though, we don't really have an issue with quantity, and it's because of how we socially sell. So for a company our size, like you wouldn't expect us to have the volume of applicants that we do. We literally get thousands of applicants. I think last week and one day I had 25 people message me on LinkedIn saying, hey, how do I work at Chili Piper? Which is pretty impressive for you know a company of like 20 people. <laughs> That's amazing. To have all of these people at really reputable name brand, household name companies asking you, hey, how do I get my foot in the door? And so we have a really strong top of funnel because a lot, and I don't, I'm not, people usually see me post on social media, but I'm like not the only one that does. So like, you know, a lot of times the people within your own company are the best advocates like of your brand in terms of referrals for recruiting. So we really optimize that. So we don't, and we also like post everywhere as well. So we do have a really strong top of funnel, but then we use that to our advantage to find the very best people. Okay. And so, and it's probably a testament to you too, because you've got a great, you know, just sidebar, like you've got a great reputation and, you know, in helping the community of sales development professionals, and that probably ripples out so that they hear about it. So it helps with the top of funnel. And then also the brand is really strong, just, you know, Chili Piper just over the last couple of years, you know, it's a great product, not to make it a commercial, but we use it at 10 bound. It's a great product. It's super useful. And also, you know, you've got like the orange shoes and the hot sauce and, you know, <laughs> like the whole package, like, like just kind of ripples out. And so it, it helps increase your recruiting funnel as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of like really intangible things. I think I think sometimes in sales development, if we just like slow down and we try to think of like some of the best practices of B2C and just like all collectively like take a big deep breath. Like I think sometimes we get so stressed out by quota that like sometimes we forget the like end goal, which is to like be a successful company with a lot of customers who are really happy and love their brand and who are advocating for you as well. And so like I also think in sales development, like as a part of that, you can like have more fun and think like long term. Like there's so many times where like, you know, I think you think of sales development, you think of somebody asking you for a meeting right now. But like there, there's so many of these like intangible things that you can do to like make your brand fun, make your employees have fun. They're happy and they're not bashing prospects over the head trying to get a meeting like right now. And I'm all for being like really assertive and aggressive like the next guy. But I think as an industry, if we take a step back back and learn about some of the things that like, you know, B2C, you know, companies are doing, like B2B is still catching up. And so one of the things that we do here is we really try to focus on the buyer. And, you know, we came up with the idea a while back on the whole idea of like buyer enablement. As someone who's handled sales enablement for multiple companies, I always kind of felt like something was missing. Like if we just put the the onus on making the salesperson better, like it subtracts the prospect from the equation. And so we are kind of changing that a little bit internally within our own company by talking about buyer enablement, which is, you know, still keeping that sales enablement, but also focusing on the buyer. And some of that are these intangible like things that we're talking about, like, well, I guess some of it is tangible, like the, uh, the hot sauce and the shoes. Um, but you get what I mean, the things that contribute to, to the overall brand that, you know, you might not even think about to be a worthwhile investment that then also help your SDRs sell, you know, even faster. Yes. And it's interesting because like the model that's been, you know, replicated over and over in the last 
like 10 or 20 years is for some companies, it's like you get a bunch of venture money and you put it in and then you hire a bunch of SDRs and like 50% might work out and get promoted or 50% are let go. But it's just like this churn and burn, get as many customers as you can. And then everything's up and to the right. And it's like, it's not even running a business per se, because you're running it at a loss. Like you don't even care if like 50% of the people walk out the door because you're, you're just trying to gain as much market share as possible so that you can get bought out or, or go public and stuff like that. And it creates like this, this weird tension and like not a fun atmosphere at all and not a long-term atmosphere like what you're talking about, which is much more like long-term focused about, and I, I love that. I want to talk more about buyer enablement. Like that is such a great concept. I've never heard that before. Tell me about like how how you think about enabling the buyer to kind of rebalance that. Yeah. So we were really thinking about like what the long-term like vision was for Chili Piper last year. It's been almost a year now that we came up with that that idea, like specifically as like who we are and what we stand for. And since then, like a number of reputable organizations have written about it. And so it's been really awesome for us. But buyer enablement really happens like anywhere. I've written a little bit about it. We also have it like on your website if you're on our website if you're curious more conceptually what it means. But it really exists like everywhere and it's trying to tr take the friction out of the process for buyers so that they can convert. And so we basically want to, instead of like, you know, sending prospects down these like straight lines, we want to help them. We want to help the buyer. And so that's the philosophy behind buyer enablement is like turning the salespeople into someone that, yes, is still, you know, not afraid to close deals or ask for meetings, but ultimately in the process, they're helping them. They're alleviating pain points for them. They're doing something for the buyer other than just asking for a meeting or a sale and also taking friction out of the process. So one of the things I talk to teams about is, you know, training your sales team, whether it's inbound or outbound by like making it easier and, you know, less friction in the process for the buyer to convert into a customer. And whether that's like the UI of like signing up for a free trial and then upgrading or whether it's your SDR really handling an objection in a really professional way, there's so much under that category that companies can improve upon. I talk about the story where my first job ever, I was karate instructor and, you know, the one of the most revered people I looked up to literally all my childhood, I asked him like why he, why he came to this dojo and not another one. And he says, like, literally they picked up the phone and somebody else didn't. That's buyer enablement right there. Like, how are you enabled? You know, you're enabling your potential future best customers to convert and beat customers in a really easy way right now. And I think we have definitely a lot of work to do there, but I think it's like really, you know, I side on the the philosophy of like being really optimistic of, yes, there's a lot of work to do, but it's also, you know, I think that we can get there as an industry. So that's kind of how we think about it here at Chili Viper. Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. Start your free trial today. Go to VanillaSoft.com. I love it. This is why I wanted you on the show, man. This is amazing. <laughs> I love this shit. And so it's so interesting because 
Liz Kane was a speaker at the conference last year. You came to the conference. I saw your yep. I saw your picture in the prospectus today. <laughs> yeah. You got a really funny picture there. You're looking like at the guy Sassy. next to you, like what the hell? Um, and uh, somebody must have said something weird. You're like, huh? but she Liz Kane was talking about product led growth, which is like it's very similar to what you're talking about, where it's like you you build the whole map of the customer journey and then you kind of like build the product based on you know getting them into that funnel i don't know what you call it but you know building it so that everything's like a touch point and they just become happier and happier with your product and weaving the sales development process into that to actually help them and it's like a win-win right because it's not like you trying to knock down the door and like pitch your product to them. And and for them, it's a much more frictionless process that they're used to from buying stuff on Amazon and things like that. So that's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it comes from like the old model of like selling, like was like, you know, put them on a straight line and keep them there all the way to close. But like now prospects have a way more information. Like sometimes they can even have more information than like the, the seller and they buy things in groups and they do all sorts of crazy things that like they didn't do before. They're much more intelligent than they, than they used to be quite frankly. And so now we have this very intelligent buyer and that intelligence they're getting like from the internet and having access to all these other tools and they can see comparison matrix or matrices and they can do a lot more today than they used to. And so we as salespeople and as an industry need to catch up to that and elevate our game, you know, to, to compete with that. You also said something earlier that uh, really stood out to me is like with like VCs, like that I think is really important specifically for mid-level managers. I think, I think sometimes like mid-level managers don't always feel like they have the tools in place to like always speak their mind to like senior, like the C-suite or VPs of sales, even like CEOs. And I would just like to challenge like mid-level managers to like, anytime there's like an idea that, may not make the most sense like you're managing the people on the front front lines or mid-level and frontline managers so you're either managing people who are managing people on the front lines or you're managing people on the front lines directly so you like absolutely know what's going on and i would just say like with the whole like you know pouring money and expecting the same results like if you see something in the process that isn't working one of the most commonly things that common things that i see is like they get a bunch of funding and then they scale the team a bunch and you're like, wait a minute, it's like not working how we expected. And it's because that ROI isn't there. Those conversion rates aren't there. The process like didn't work exactly how it was supposed to. So I, my advice would be to just like speak up to those people as well and feel free to like speak up to, to your team too. And I think CEOs and, and VPs in the C-suite like really come to uh, respect that a lot. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, it's interesting because I, I think our industry, in like the sales development industry, is still in the the sales enablement like frame of mind. So, in other words, they're a hundred, like not a hundred percent, but they're almost exclusively thinking of like, how do I set this up, and what's like the best script and what tools should I buy and what's what's like the best sequence that I can use and all this stuff. And what you don't hear a lot about is like the buyer enablement and really understanding the people that you're actually interacting with and, and how they go about 
checking out products, buying products, you know, getting information and stuff like that. Like you hardly ever hear anyone. I got an email today, Michael, from a very reputable company that said, no more cold calling. Like that's what it said (laughs) in the thing. And I was like, oh my God, we're still talking about like, should sales development report to marketing or sales or should we cold call or not cold call or should we use a script or not use a script? Like we're all talking about completely the wrong thing right now. Sorry. That was just a rant. (laughs) Yeah. What are your thoughts? (laughs) That comes up a lot. People tend to love to speak in absolutes, just like in general. And it's like something I notice a lot in sales this always works. This never works. Like anytime you hear that, like it should just be like automatic, like red flag because there is no silver bullet. And like sometimes like what works for one company, like legit won't work for another. But as far as like, I I tend not to participate in those discussions. If anyone doubts the effectiveness of cold calling, I totally invite them to come sit with me in my San Francisco office here. And like, I can just like show you and put an end to that debate. I've I've found that people who say that cold calling is dead or or whatever have a vested interest in some other channel. And so that just like kind of negates their argument to begin with. Um, Like I can literally show you that it still works. Um, And so like just in general, like people speaking in absolutes is like very dangerous. And I I think we do it too frequently. And I would just challenge leaders and reps out there to elevate our conversation and talk about the specifics because sales has become more scientific. And so let's talk about which specific scenarios something works or, or doesn't and what, what messaging like is, is working and, 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 and what doesn't rather than just like, you know, putting things into categories really easily and putting a label on them. I just, I just don't think, like you said, I don't think it's the most productive use of our time. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, Definitely understand who the message, like what the messenger is potentially trying to sell. Cause it's like a lot of content marketing, like call it like, I don't know if it's called that anymore, but it's like content marketing is a thinly veiled, you know, shell for trying to get you to buy something. And which is fine. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not like a communist. Like, I, I'm pro, <laughs> I'm pro, um, you know, capitalist. But, but the thing is, if just understand, like, a lot of the stuff that you read is like, it's trying to get you into the product of whatever the person's doing, which, you know, it's like, and I think that's not necessarily the best information. It's, it's more, what I always try to tell people is like, let's take it back a step. Like if you're sitting there and you're an SDR listening to this, or you're an SDR manager listening to this, like start with the people that are actually out there that are in your group that may potentially buy your product or in the industry and like start with them. Like what's their vocabulary? Where do they hang out? How do they buy stuff? What conferences do they go to? Like really get to know them because that's, that's where you're going to really become a value add person versus being so internal. But anyways. Yeah. And just because like something isn't working for you doesn't mean that it doesn't work. There's a ton of companies I work with and I hop on coaching calls. They're VPs of sales and they're SDR managers. And like they're cold calling in that scenario you just gave. It's an easy one. Wasn't working because of something really small. And I listened to three calls and I'm like, hey, try this. And they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, we booked. 30% more offs. Like what else can we do? Same thing with hiring. Like we, they're like, our hiring isn't working. 
but it doesn't mean that hiring doesn't work for SDRs. Of course it does. I just told you how we do it and get thousands of applicants. So we tweet a couple of things, like literally like really rudimentary tips. And then he comes back and he's like, oh my gosh, we have so many candidates now. I just hired three SDRs. Like I'm going to hit my number. Like, thank you. So like if something's not working like for you, doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's not working. Ask for help if it's not working for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's do that then. Like say, Okay, so say somebody like is bought in now, they, they want to try something new, they are stuck, you know, like their program is not working that great. And this is kind of a high level question, but where, where should you start if you're, if you're stuck, things are not necessarily working? Like, say you came into a company and they were just like, dude, we're stuck, like our sales development program sucks. Like, we, we don't know which direction to go. We've done all these things, nothing's working. Like, where should they start? Well, first, I would say you're not alone. I get called like pretty frequently from like top, literally household name brands that struggle with this. So I'd just say it's okay, but definitely seek help, help like early. You want to get ahead of these sort of like diagnostic things before it's like really an issue. And it's like, you know, people's employment are on the line and like things like that. You just want to get ahead of it. And usually if you're ahead of problems, like leadership understands that this is a, a tough world that, you know, we live in like you know, many times in terms of the area of sales development. So that's the first thing I would say is like, it's okay to not see success like right away. Some of this stuff takes a lot of optimization and time. And I, I still don't have like all the answers, even though this is, you know, my fifth sales team that, you know, I've worked on and, and built out. So that's the first thing, you know, you're not alone. Usually what I see is like a lot of little things, like one of the common ones I wrote a post about this a while ago is like, they don't, you're not giving your sales team the right tools. And if you, they don't have the right tools, they just like aren't going to be able to compete with your competitors because your competitors do have the right tools. And so one of them is like data. Like it's usually the first thing I think of, like how are you going to reach out to people if you don't have the right data in place? You'd be surprised at how many, again, top brands like don't have things like that. Once I have the tech stack all lined up, they have the right CRM, they have, you know, an engagement tool, a scheduling tool in place, call recording software, you know, things like that all lined up. I try to keep it pretty lean as well. So there's, it's not too confusing. Then I go, and then eventually when your team gets a little bit larger, like an LMS and things like that too, I think are really great. Then once you have the right stack in place, I, most of the time I want to know what's going on on the calls. Like I see a conversion rate, the issue, whether it's on an AE call or an SDR call, it's so many leaders will scratch their heads. Like what's going on with these conversion rates? And I'm like, dude, how often are you listening to their calls? Oh, not that much. Oh, okay. Well, that's probably the issue. A lot of times like it'll come down to an awareness thing. You don't even have to like be as much of an enforcer if you're just showing your team constantly how to how to do it the right way. And this goes back to what I said earlier about having a skill set in place instead of just, you know, when I think of training, I'm like, I'm showing you how to do it. But also like really good training has coaching involved too, that you're like building that skill ingrained in them from the get go. Like I always give myself like I have three weeks to get someone from zero to 100 so that I can retain that employee. And if I don't do it in three weeks, I know that it's going to be way harder for me to like get that employee on track. So that's my personal goal I give myself. So, so yeah, if somebody's stuck, those are like some of the things I think about, but like go listen to those calls. Like what is going on? 
in the particular calls. And if you can't hear it, grab someone that does, because chances are there's something in there. It's usually like the tech stack needs to be fixed for, for SDR specifically, or like it's in the actual call, calls themselves. So those are the first two things I always do. Got it. Okay. And and so you also mentioned a little bit on onboarding, like the first 100 days and how important that is. So how do you how do you get them up to speed that quickly so you feel confident like after 100 days that they're they're ready to go? Yeah. So off of the what I just said about calls, I'm also looking at the messaging and email by the way too since we have a lot of emails going out. Yeah. Please do not spam people or send these mass like messages. I still still see people do it all the time. It it doesn't help your brand. AEs do it out of desperation or AEs and SDRs tend to do it out of desperation because they haven't shown been shown a better way to do it. Please like do not let them do that. <laughs> as far as the the 100 days plan goes, I think about it. So some people say they favor a university style of like trading and onboarding. While I like that, again, it's back to the skills versus knowledge thing for me. I want to tackle learning from many different angles because people learn differently. So I have calls, role plays, shadowing, call reviews where I'm actually scoring the calls like with them. Like you really have to go above and beyond here. Product training with an actual product manager if you can. Then I have RevOps on our team go through training with them as well, just on like the tech stack. So like you certify someone in the company to then go train people on a particular topic. And now that's what they're like highly competent at. And they train each person that comes in. So it's like automated. It's like everyone knows what they're supposed to do when you have new employees. Also lots of reading. I have books I recommend. It's like, these are the top five books you need to read. They need to be read by end of month too. Like this is going to be a growth. The number one thing that people ask for in the interview process is always the same. It's not money, it's growth. And so, but then we like, they come in and we don't really like get them in that mindset. And so I, I want them right off the bat, like, Hey, this relationship is one based on growth where we're both going to grow. Like I'm going to grow with you because you're going to teach me and I'm going to learn with you. But like right from the get go, now that they're in that mindset, once they finish my, I don't really like the term boot camp, but I'll call it that for now. Like the first three weeks, then like after that, you're dropped into continuing education where we have weekly cadences set up in terms of like training with a team. And then also you have one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions with me where we're specifically working on the things that you as an individual are struggling with and want to get better at, regardless of where you are in your career. So that's kind of like how I think about all that. And then that continuing education never really ends because we can always get better at what we do. And a lot of times I, I always make the analogy to basketball with that really quick. I could talk about training and sales enablement all day because I'm very passionate about it. But particularly, if you think about like high-performing high sports teams, they practice those basics over and over and over again. And as soon as you let them become unconscious about those basics, they start losing. But if you keep them conscious and practicing those basics over and over and over again, you know, regardless of how good they are, now you have like a really high-performing team that's like going to crush it. And so I, the same exact thing applies to sales. Like, you know, there's so many times where like I knew to do something as a closer, but I didn't. And then my manager highlights it in the training. And, okay, now I'm back on track. So those are just a few things of like how I think about all of that. Yeah, it's amazing that with training that people think 
they can do like one training and then that's it. They're, they're good. You know, and it's like going to the gym once <laughs> and expecting to get ripped. Yeah, but exactly. You got to keep, but now that's must be very time consuming though, for you as the leader of the team, it sounds like you train people to then go and train the new people, but how do you leverage your time if, if you have to spend it all doing all this training? So any accomplishment I've made in my life has been built off of the, those like micro moments. If, like you said, I don't I don't go to the gym once and like I'm like, you know, like you said, ripped all of a sudden. It's been like maybe I don't have two hours to go to the gym, but like I'm at least going to go to the gym every day or I'm at least going to read. Maybe I can't read 100 pages a day, but I can read 20 for a day per like for certain and you make like that little commitment to yourself and that small change has an exponentially larger result than if you were to just like train once and then like hope that it sticks like most things in my life have kind of worked out that way and I kind of had to learn that the hard way so I try to help other people avoid that my team knows without a shadow of a doubt that the number one thing that I care about and I think hopefully if you ask anyone that I've ever worked with and train out of the hundreds of salespeople I've worked with that the thing that I care most about is coaching and training so when it comes to like my schedule they know that they can always drop time on it where there's an open spot or if they, even if they need me to move something I'll do it because nothing matters more to me as like a sales leader than giving someone training who's like trying to get better and i think if you have that sort of culture set up like you're gonna have an unstoppable team because you're all you're all committed to getting better and so like even if it is just you know 20 minutes or there's so many times where like i would sit down with like somebody that's like struggling it was 10 minutes of just like hey work on this one thing after we listen to a call come back check in with me in three days we'll see how, how it goes and boom they're like on track so if you haven't prioritized coaching like that, I strongly challenge like all the other meetings and admin and things that you do. I'm sure they're really important. But if you make coaching the number one thing that you do as a manager, like your team will absolutely get better and, and you'll be a better leader and they'll trust you more as a result. And you'll be able to go much further than someone who doesn't think about it that way. All right, you heard it here first, folks. This is why this is why Michael is successful and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there's definitely a tendency to just look at the Salesforce reports all day and like look at the conversion rates and you become very analytical and as a manager, and next thing you know, you haven't trained anybody in like a week or two weeks. And it's like this is really the most important part of the job. And that gets, you know, sidetracked a lot out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think like I always like break down salespeople's time the same way. It's like you have your direct selling time or prep for your direct selling time. Then you have like administrative tasks and then, you know, other activities like miscellaneous activities that just like come with the job, like meetings and things like that. If the thing that if if the time that's sacred and I used to do like power hours to like block this off and we would like literally all march to the same tune during these hours. It doesn't have to be that regimented necessarily, but but just like the idea for a rep is like that direct selling time is sacred. And if you can optimize that direct selling time, not only are you going to be more able to make more money, but like you're going to have more at bats, you're going to get like better. It's like that's where the results are and minimizing the, the other activities throughout the day, like as much as you can and figuring out how to systematize them 
It's the same thing for a manager, except instead of direct selling time, it's coaching time. And all those administrative tasks and meetings don't mean jack unless that coaching time is like 70% of your day. And when that's more than 50% of your day, that's when you really start seeing results. And managers who do that also learn a lot too. And they learn faster. And that's when those people move up to be like directors and things like that too. So that's, that's so how true. I think about it. So, so the homework for everybody, you know, who's running a team, go and or, you know, even reps or anybody, I mean, go and look at your calendar. How does your calendar reflect your top priorities? And, you know, as Michael mentioned, it's like, if coaching and training is not taking up 50% plus of your calendar, then that could be why you're struggling. And on the rep side, it's like, whatever the key metric is, if it's talking to people, if it's making more calls, if it's, you know, whatever that may be, if that's not taking up enough time blocked out on your calendar, then, hey, when is it going to happen, right? Yeah, exactly. And every time I've implemented that structure for teams, every single time, it's, you know, it also like it fosters like community too, because you have like people next to you that are kind of like in the trenches, you're, you're, you're doing it at the same time. So yeah, I always recommend people, even if you do a lighter version of like calendaring it out than what I mentioned, it also it also works, you know, outside of that for other sales reps and, and AEs. The other thing is like when you get really good at that motion, you become really efficient at prospecting. And like usually AEs, that's their least favorite part of the job. But like I know a lot of SDRs want to be AEs, but like the AEs who self like self source a lot of their deals, a lot of times get more at bats and are better AEs. So if you nail this skill now, where you could just like block off an hour and book, I don't know, five ops or whatever it is for your company, this like crazy efficiency because you have such a good process. Guess what? When you get promoted, you're gonna really increase. Like I think one of the things SDRs can do a little bit better job of is like think really long term. Like we always want to be an AE like right now, right now, right now. But if you systemize your process, can't talk today, you're going to really help yourself like later on down the process as an account ex executive as well, because you'll be able to set more ops for yourself and you'll have more at bat. That will be a better conversion rate for yourself and you'll be able to make significantly more money and be way more successful than other people as a team. That's why getting good at this right now is absolutely critical to an overall really strong career in sales. Couldn't agree more. I think, you know, I, I'm thinking of this guy named Mike Weinberg who writes continuously about how a lot of salespeople stop prospecting, you know, because they're just like, I'm good. I mean, as long as the SDR team is putting <laughs> calendar stuff on my calendar and I get the occasional inbound lead, you know, it's like, but no, I mean, actually, it's like the lost art kind of. I mean, people get promoted and, and they think, Oh, I don't have to prospect anymore because I'm an AE. But no, dude, it's like actually it just started. Like <laughs> you have to you have to prospect more than an SDR because it's your you know pipeline that you're filling, right? Yeah, and even for like AEs, like or like a lot of SDRs that want to be AEs, it's you know it's always the least favorite part of the job, but. You know, when they see that massive paycheck come in or commission check because you did all that prospecting, it tends to change the dialogue. I always recommend to hit the ground running Monday morning. So usually, like, I wouldn't have that many meetings scheduled Monday morning. I'm sure that varies for other companies out there. But in this particular instance, I didn't. And I would, like, literally come in, like, really hard Monday morning as an AE 
and prospect like literally till I'm like about to fall on the floor like as hard as I could. But guess what? Like I didn't have to do it the rest of the week because I set so many ops on Monday. And yeah, in my downtime here and there, I would still prospect, but I would book more ops than anyone on the AE team on Monday. And then now like my calendar is full for the whole, and I would do that every single Monday morning. And like, as a result, I was like way above quota. Cause like, it's like, well, I had all these SDR and inbounds, but then like, I also set like 30 ops for myself throughout the month. So it's like, it, it just drastically helps. So I think like getting in that mindset early with SDRs really helps them be successful. And I always like coach, like coach them through that too. Like, Hey, like this isn't going to end. Keep prospecting when you're in AE. And like, I think them like getting the managers preparing them for that, like really helps them when they're an account executive because then they don't stop. All my top performers that, that were senior AEs are still prospecting more than like the other people who maybe like I didn't manage and you could tell. Yes. You drilled it into them. It's, it's that old, uh, eat that frog. That was a book. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like make a list of all the stuff that you have to do and then prioritize it by whatever the worst thing is. And then do that first, <laughs> like, right? When yeah. you walk in on Monday. So, well, Michael, dude, this has been so interesting. Tons of actionable takeaways for the audience. And I got one last question for you. What is coming up? Chili Piper's got a lot of momentum. What are you excited about or anything coming up on the horizon that you're excited about right now? I'm really excited about going to your conference soon. I oh, dude, I, that was had... a perfect setup. I didn't even, I wasn't even trying. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. Thank you. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I am very, very excited about going to 10 bounds sales development conference it's going to be awesome tons of takeaways i learned last year and, and the people that i brought with me as far as like chili piper uh we have so many things in the works right now we just you know close close a round of funding and so we're really looking to kind of bring the best people on the team we do a lot of scheduling right now and we're we're looking to to move into the event space as well so hopefully some people at your conference will be using Chili Piper to, to book meetings, but that tool should be launching in the next few weeks here. So we're all kind of really rallying around that right now. And, and we're super excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited too. I think the event space definitely needs your help, you know, to maximize the time. I, I've just been to three or four conferences. I saw you at the at the Topo conference a couple weeks ago, or last week, actually. And yeah, I mean, a lot of times I'm just like wandering around, you know, trying to <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on. And so just to have some direction, have some stuff booked and have more, you know, direction on it. I think that's a great opportunity for you guys. So thanks for the plug on the conference. And I can't wait to see you there. Chili Piper is going to be there in a big way. And Michael, thank you for coming on the Sales Development Podcast. Yes, it's been a pleasure. I always have a blast talking to you. And yeah, looking forward to speaking with you soon. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.